The Gospel of Luke records that one day a certain lawyer came to Jesus and tested him with some questions, asking him, Rabbi, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? If ever there was a good question, that's it. And for a lot of Christians, I would think that they would love to have someone come and ask them, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And they might instantly respond by jumping into that old four spiritual laws kind of mindset. Or maybe they would begin to use those passages out of Romans that are sometimes referred to as the Roman road. They'd say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, who demonstrated God's love for us in that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, trust in him, you would be saved. It'd be a great thing if someone just kind of stepped up and asked me or maybe asked you, how do I get to heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? But Jesus didn't respond in the way that maybe you might or I might as a pastor. His response to the lawyer was not what you might expect. He said to that lawyer, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Luke chapter 10 verse 26 says, and so the lawyer answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded to that lawyer and said, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now, when the lawyer answered Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And when he said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he was quoting two passages from the law of Moses. One we have already studied previously in our journey through the book of Deuteronomy from Deuteronomy chapter six, a passage that is called the Shema because the opening word in Deuteronomy six, verse four is the Hebrew word Shema, which is translated here. In Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, we read, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then, then the second passage that the lawyer quoted was from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. As we come to Deuteronomy chapter 22 today, Moses is remembering and rehearsing for the children of Israel some of those laws that were given back in that passage, back in Leviticus chapter 19. Now, the law of God given in the books of Exodus and Leviticus, it preceded what Moses is teaching here in Deuteronomy by about 40 years. And as I've shared many times before, as we've been making our way through the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is reminding Israel of God's law as they are now preparing to enter into the promised land. And when they enter into the promised land, they're going to be expected to govern themselves according to this law, according to his word. In the very near future, they're going to have to do that. The children of Israel were redeemed and rescued from Egypt to be God's people. He had saved them so that they would be his people and that he would be their God. And they were in a covenant relationship, bound together with God in a covenant relationship. 
and therefore they were to be separate and distinct and different than those who would live around them. And the laws that we read in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, which Israel was to live by and be governed by, these laws were distinct and different in relationship to the ways and the customs of the other people that would be living around them at the very same time. So if Israel lived according to God's law, they would be a people who were distinct and different from the Egyptians. They had come out of Egypt and from the Ammonites and the Moabites. They had been moving through the region of Ammon and Moab just before they came into the promised land. And then they're going to go into the land of Canaan. And so if they were to follow God's laws, they would be different than the Egyptians, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Canaanites. And that is exactly what God was calling them to be. He wanted them to be a separate people unto himself, a distinct and different people. Now, as I have shared before, even just last week, if you were with us in our message last time, and as I'll continue to emphasize as we go through the book of Deuteronomy over and over and over again, when we look at these laws in 2022, when we read Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, we find things to be different and rather bizarre in the way that they were called to live. We find these things to be bizarre because looking at these things through the mindset and the worldview of Western Americans in 2022, these things look very weird to us. So what we will come across here in what is titled the miscellaneous laws of Israel, they're going to be strange for us. We're going to find some weird things, as we already saw last week, some pretty weird things in these passages. And it will appear to us to be pretty out of step with our culture and our time. And these things are out of step with our culture and our time. We don't need to pretend that these things are not bizarre. They are. But I want to suggest to you that these things that are bizarre to us, out of step with our culture in 2022, they were actually not in alignment with Canaanite customs in 1400 BC. These statutes and judgments from God were intended to make the people of God, Israel, to be different and distinct. So he was calling them to live a certain way that was different than the Canaanites. The ways and customs, the traditions of the Canaanites, those things were very at odds with the ways that God was calling his people, the children of Israel, to live. These laws were reforms to how things were done in the ancient world. Israel's law seems strange to us because we're looking back 3,400 years judging these things by our standards and our worldview in 2022. But I guarantee if you were to look at the social life and customs of the Philistines, the Canaanites, 3,400 years ago, then Israel's way of life according to God's law would look a whole lot better. It would look more merciful and gracious and liberating even. In comparison to ancient Philistines and Canaanites, the ancient Israelites were a civilized and progressive people. Israel's law was a progressive reform to the way that things were among the Canaanites. And we, 3,400 years after Moses, are where we are today because of the principles and the progressive reforms of God's law in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Given even in these strange passages that we're going to be looking at. In other words, if it were not for what God did through Moses or with the children of Israel thousands of years ago when they were at Mount Sinai back in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, or what he did with them in the plains of Moab here in the book of Deuteronomy, we would not be where we are today and how we view things like women's rights or even property rights, gender rights, 
the diversity and equity inclusion kind of things that are important in our culture, those things would not have come about had it not been for what God did through his people thousands of years ago. Our view of slavery and civil rights, our view of crime and punishment, we would not have the view that we have in 2022 if it was not for the things that God did with his people in the law 3,400 years ago. As strange as some of the things seem to us as we will encounter them here in Deuteronomy, these were the first rudimentary steps that ultimately lead over 3,000 years of history to where we are today through God's progressive revelation. So, simple question, do you like the freedoms, the rights, the liberties, the rules and regulations that make up our highly civilized society that we call home here in the West in 2022? If you do, then all of that goes back to these things in the scripture. None of what we have today would have happened without God's progressive revelation, which begins rudimentarily in weird passages like 2022. All that to say, I think we need to be careful that we do not quickly judge the bizarre strangeness of what we will read in these passages, even though some of the things that we're gonna see in this passage this week and next week and the coming weeks may seem strange and bizarre to us, we shouldn't be so quick to judge these things because you don't get the rights, the liberties, the freedoms that we enjoy in 2022 without the laws and weird passages like Deuteronomy 22. The bizarre statutes of the Torah are the basis for the civil society that you and I enjoy. You just don't get to where we are at today if you don't start with where they were back there in the plains of Moab as Moses was giving them the law in the book of Deuteronomy. And in the same way that you can never get to calculus if you don't start with addition. So this is like starting with the mere ABCs of what God is progressively going to reveal to his people. Now, all of that is kind of a huge lead in to what we see here. And again, some of the strange miscellaneous laws of the children of Israel, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 22, we read this in verse one. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. And then you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same with his donkey and you shall do the same with his garment, with any lost thing of your brother's, which he has lost and you have found, you shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up again. You remember what the expert in the law, the lawyer back in the Gospel of Luke said when Jesus asked him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? He answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In reality, those words are the basis for all of the law. Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment in the law is, in very much the same way that he asked the lawyer there in the Gospel of Luke, how do you read the law? Jesus answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is the first and greatest commandment. And then he said, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But then he said this, it's recorded in Matthew's gospel. He says, on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Elsewhere in the gospels, Jesus expanded and amplified that statute or what we might even call the law of love. The greatest commandment in the scriptures is to love the Lord your God with all of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus in the gospels, he amplifies that. And he says, 
I don't want you to only love your neighbor. I don't want you to only love those who are lovely. I want you also to love your enemies. Matthew chapter 7, he said, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do to them also, for this is all of the law and the prophets. And there in that passage, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You are to love your enemy. So this is what I mean when I say that you don't get to the civil society of the Western world in 2022 without going through the foundational teachings of Deuteronomy chapter 22. What we see beginning in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy continues on, and it builds progressively through the prophets that we will eventually get to as we study through the Old Testament scriptures together here at Cross Connection Church. So it starts in the law, it moves through the prophets, but it moves all the way up to Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. It is a sign directing us to him. You don't just look out for number one, the scriptures would say. You don't just love your immediate family only. You don't just love those who love you, those who are the easy ones to love. You don't just love your brother or your neighbor, your friend or your countrymen. In the progressive revelation of God, as we move from the law to the prophets on up to Christ, we learn that just as Jesus teaches again in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you have heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. This kind of love that Jesus describes there, not just loving your countrymen, not just loving those who are lovely, not just loving those who love you, but loving even your enemies, this kind of love, which is ultimately got what God calls us to, I don't think it's possible without a supernatural enabling, but it is the path to becoming the children of God. As you love people in this way, this is the way that you become mature, complete, perfect, like your Father in heaven is perfect. So here in these opening verses of Deuteronomy chapter 22, as Moses says, if you see your neighbor or your brother's ox wandering away, then you need to take it and restore it to them. Or if you find anything that your neighbor or your brother has lost, that you need to take it and hold it for them and restore it to them. What is the point of this? What does this speak to us? What does Deuteronomy chapter 22 say to you and I living in 2022. Well, in North County, where I live here in San Diego County, California, in 2022, you are probably not going to see your brother's ox going astray. You're probably not going to find your neighbor's donkey wandering out in a field, unless maybe you live out in the county and Valley Center somewhere, but probably not. You're probably not going to see that. It is unlikely that you will have to deal with stumbling upon some stranger's cloak or garment or something else that they have lost and then you need to hold it for them and until you find them so you can restore it. So these things do not have a word for word, direct, literal, you know, application for us today. But what do they mean for us? Well, important question. Do you like the idea of property rights? Do you like the concept of having personal property? Do you think that that's important? Well, we get that from the law. We get that from the scriptures. This idea that your brother owns or has an ox or a donkey or sheep or a cloak or any other thing, that's the idea of having personal private property, your own property. 
we get that concept, that idea from God's law. Do you think that it is good to restore lost property to others? Well, again, we get that idea from God's law. Do you want to live in a society where finders, keepers, losers, weepers is the maxim that we live by? Or would you rather live in a society where someone, whether you know who that person is or not, is looking out for you and for your liberty and for your property? I think I want to live in a society where people are looking out for you and your property even when you're not there. Is it better to live among a people who will pull over and help you when you break down on the side of the road, have a flat tire or get in an accident? Or do you want to live where people look at you and just drive on by when you're on the side of the road after an accident? You may remember if you have read through the Gospel of Luke before that Jesus' conversation with the lawyer about loving God and loving your neighbor, it didn't end where I left off with it just a moment ago. After Jesus told the lawyer to keep the two greatest commandments of loving God and loving his neighbor if he wanted to inherit eternal life, then that lawyer came to Jesus with another question. And he says to him in Luke chapter 10, verse 29, okay, well, who is my neighbor? Seeking to justify himself, he says, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus answered in this great story, which you may have read it before or heard about it before. We call it the story of the Good Samaritan there. Jesus answered and said to him, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. I mean, the guy that you would expect would help when there's someone in a crisis like this. The priest passes by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite who is from the priestly tribe in Israel, when he arrived at the place, he came and looked like a looky-loo and he passed by on the other side. But then a certain Samaritan, and there was real racial animosity and division between Jews and Samaritans at the time of Jesus. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where this man was that had been taken among thieves and the Samaritan. When he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him and he bandaged up his wounds and he poured oil and wine and he set him on his own donkey, his animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day he departed and he took out two denarii, two days wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of this man and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So after Jesus tells this story, he says to this lawyer, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is so important. And this begins to be taught to us in Deuteronomy chapter 22. And it's carried out through the Old Testament prophets, but it ultimately finds its culmination in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the progressive revelation of God. And what does this passage begin to teach us that Jesus ultimately makes the, the primary ultimate application for us? He, he says, it's important that you love in this way. The law of love is seen in how we show mercy to others and the extent to which we show mercy to others, including those that we are not exactly fond of or those that are not exactly nice to us is the extent to which we understand and apply the law of love and show that we know and love God. The law of love is seen in how we show mercy to others. So Deuteronomy chapter 22, this passage that opens with you restoring lost property to your neighbor or even someone that you don't even know, Moses says in this passage, this ultimately leads forward to loving your neighbor, fulfilling what God spoke in Leviticus chapter 19. I'm definitely not getting as far as I wanted to today as quickly as I thought that I would, but continuing on. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. We have something more 
strange in the law of God. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Well, if ever there was an Old Testament passage that would seem to have some interesting modern application, this might be it. It is amazing to me to see the extent to which discussions about sexual identity and gender are the major issues of our time. I would not have seen that coming if you asked me 10 or 12 years ago, but here we are in 2022 and this is like the major cultural issue. And as weird as our cultural infatuation with these things is at this moment, I think it only reminds us that the words of King Solomon from 3000 years ago in Ecclesiastes chapter one are absolutely true. There is nothing new under the sun. So we have this Old Testament statute against what appears to be against cross-dressing and transgenderism. Is that what this is all about? In one sense, yes, you could make that application, but I don't think that's the primary point of what Moses is talking about here in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse five. Primarily, I think this is more of a focus upon God's created order. When I see the chaos and confusion of our time, especially as it relates to identity issues, I think about Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 19 in verse four, where he said, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? In another place in the gospels, Jesus said, you do err not knowing the scriptures. And certainly we do see a society in our day that is confused and descending further and further into chaos because we err not recognizing the scriptures or God's created order. On page one of the Bible in Genesis chapter one, we read there, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, male and female. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I think it's important to point out that Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse five, when it talks about a man not dressing like a woman or a woman not dressing like a man, it is not teaching that women cannot wear pants. The ancient Israelites wore something more like a long robe or blouse, both men and women did. So this passage isn't really teaching that women can't wear pants as some people have wrongly interpreted it to say. This passage is teaching that there are distinct and important differences between men and women, which is what we find on the first page of the Bible. And we should recognize and honor those distinct differences as God has created those differences. He has created things as they are, and he has ordered things that we would live according to those things. This passage emphasizes that God has a created order and he has made a distinction between men and women. And we would do well to recognize the differences and live within his created order. Does that mean there's no variance in the extreme minorities as it relates to sex organs? No, there, there is some variance in the extreme mi minorities. Sometimes there are there some issues as it relates to um, issues of sex organs in, in children that are born, very small minorities. And those I think are the effects of the fall upon the created order. 
Is there something of a spectrum as it relates to masculinity and femininity? Yes, sometimes there are more masculine women and more feminine men. Even in the Bible, we see sometimes that comes out. I think about Esau and Jacob in the book of Genesis. We're told that Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac, the father of Jacob and Esau, he loved Esau because he ate of his game that he hunted. And Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau, she loved Jacob, maybe because he was a good cook and we even see in that passage that he was a good cook. There are differences in degrees as it relates to masculinity and femininity, but characteristic differences do not change biology and they do not change God's created order. And a society that disregards God's order will sow confusion and chaos and disorder. We are seeing that in our culture. If we disobey God's law, we will distort and disorder his created order. And the result in the end will not be good. Now, to say such things in 2022 here in the United States of America, it is culturally incorrect. It is, I think, a sad reality, a sad statement on our times that to be biblically correct is to be increasingly culturally and politically incorrect. But I will say this, you fight with God's created order and you will find yourself fighting against God and the effects will not be good. The effects will be very clear. You can try it. I really don't think it's a good idea. It's like the time more than 20 years ago when I thought, you know, I'm going to try riding my little brother's friend's dirt bike. And my mom said, Miles, I don't think that's a good idea. And I learned very quickly that it wasn't a good idea. I spent the rest of the afternoon in the emergency room getting stitches in my chin and having a concussion. As they sometimes say, play stupid games and win stupid prizes. And our society keeps just running full speed ahead doing all kinds of crazy things, expecting that things are just going to turn out great, and they're probably not. This is not new. There's nothing new under the sun. But continuing on, some more weird passages here in Deuteronomy chapter 22. Look at verse 6 and 7. There we read, If a bird's nest happens to be before you along the way, in any tree or on the ground, with young ones or eggs, with the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go. And take the young for yourself, that it may be well with you, and that you may pro prolong your days. Once again, uh, another weird passage of scripture here in Deuteronomy. Like mother birds laying on a nest with eggs or young, and you could take the young, but you have to leave the mother. And like, what on earth is going on here in this passage? Well, again, just a moment ago, I read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. The Bible teaches there in Genesis and then coming forward into Deuteronomy chapter 22 that we, human beings, we have authority and dominion over creation, which means that you have the liberty to go out and fish and to hunt. You even have the liberty to take the eggs or the young of a bird in the nest. It may seem weird to you, but you have that liberty. But even though you have that liberty, Genesis chapter 1, Moses here in Deuteronomy chapter 22, he says, God has set some limits. Limits on how you can deal with these things in this world, even though you have dominion over them. Limits that are informed by wisdom. And the simple underlying principle of these verses inform us that we must exercise wisdom in how we rule ecologically over creation as the lords of creation. And while the specific example here has to do with birds and nests, 
the underlying principle extends to other environmental and ecological issues. God commands that we exercise wisdom in how we rule over and steward his creation, in how we use natural resources, in how we clear land for farming or mine minerals out of the ground, in how we produce and use energy, and how we harvest game and catch fish. Now, unfortunately, even in bringing this up, there are some within Christian circles that will maybe get uncomfortable because of what we would call the environmental movement in our day. We have to be careful, yes, that we do not make creation into our God. But at the same time, we need to be careful that we recognize that God made creation and expects that we steward what he has given to us wisely. When God created humanity, he also created a beautiful garden and he placed humanity into his garden to tend and to keep it. And later in the Old Testament, as you follow the timeline of Old Testament history, you find that God would judge the children of Israel for their lack of care and their lack of tending the promised land. He says to them, you have defiled my land in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 7. You have defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. With their sinful practices, but also in the fact that they didn't take care of the law, the, they didn't take care of the land in a proper way. Now, no, we don't want to worship and serve the creation or the creature that God has made over the creator who made these things, but we also do not want to be unwise in our dominion and our stewardship of all that God has made. He will hold us accountable for how we tend to the things that he has made. This is God's earth. He's given it to us to have authority and dominion over it, that we would tend and keep it and take care of it. But Moses goes on. Another weird passage here, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8. When you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet, a small wall, if you will, for your roof, that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from the roof of your house. Now, these exhortations here in Deuteronomy chapter 22 about restoring lost property to your neighbor, about men and women having proper distinction in the clothing that they wear, about how to deal with birds and nests and eggs, and now how to deal with your house when you build it. These exhortations, they may seem as though they're kind of scattered and disconnected. And in one sense, they are kind of proverbial and somewhat random. But at the same time, I find it interesting that Moses, he moves from the care of creation in the previous verse, verses six and seven, to the care for humanity here in verse eight. And I think it's interesting that he moves in this way. I think God inspiring Moses to do so, did so on purpose. One of the dangers that seems evident to me and maybe to you as well in the modern environmental movement appears to be an advocacy for the care of creation at any cost, even if it is the cost of the lives and livelihood of humans. To give an example, the environmental policies in the West today, including what has been termed ESG, environmental, social, and corporate governance standards, they are increasing global food insecurity, what we used to call hunger. So while I think that it is biblical that we would steward creation well, we ought not do that at the expense of people, humans. Humans, they are the crowning glory of God's creation, the final act, if you will, of his creative work. The psalmist in Psalm 8, he says, for you have made humanity a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. The other things that God has made are beautiful and wonderful, and they should be regarded highly and stewarded well. But only for humans is there a guilt of bloodshed if one dies because of error or negligence or injustice. 
There is nowhere near the same recompense or restitution expected for the death of an animal as there is for the death of a human. Therefore, Moses commands, take great care when you build something like a house that you don't, by your negligence or your dereliction, cause the untimely death of an individual. Our care for God's creative works should be most evident in how we care for our fellow man. Yes, we should steward creation well, but we should make sure that we give the most care to how we take care of other people. Whether they are our neighbors or foreigners or people on the other side of the planet, we should really be looking out how we take care of people. Now, this is, uh, I'm not getting near as far as I had planned when I had stepped into Deuteronomy chapter 22 uh, I had kind of hoped that I might actually be able to get through Deuteronomy chapter 22 and 23 this week, but the more I looked at this passage, the more I realized that's not going to happen. But look at verse 9. Moses continues on. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. Okay. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. All right. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. And you shall make tassels on the four corners of the clothing with which you cover yourself. Four final rules that we're going to look at today. Four statutes for God's people, which seem to make very little sense to us in 2022. But I think as I thought about these and meditated on them, they have a simple and shared focus. The reason I group all four of these together is that I think they have a common theme that God is trying to impart to his people. As I said at the very beginning of this message, the children of Israel were to be a people that were separate and holy unto God. They were to be different and distinct, consecrated to the Lord only, holy and completely dedicated to him. And many of the things that they would do on a daily, weekly, seasonal, annual basis were meant to remind them of their separateness. Was there some sort of moral civil problem that would ensue if they mixed two different kinds of seeds or two different varieties of fruits together in their field or their vineyards or their orchards? No, that's, that's not what's going on here. There's no immorality here. There was nothing immoral or uncouth in doing so, but in their farming, statutes like this one here in verse nine were given to remind them of their separateness and their consecration in taking care to make sure that they were planting different seeds in different fields and different locations God is saying, I want you to take great care in your separateness. Was there some sort of moral issue in yoking an ox and a donkey together? Now, there were some practical problems with yoking an ox or a donkey together if they were going to go plow their field. But was there a moral problem or like a holiness issue? There was not. But his people, the children of Israel, were to refrain from being unequally yoked with other people that were not of God's people. And that statute actually carries on into the New Testament. In the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So God wants us to make sure that we are a separate and distinct people. But he especially wanted the children of Israel to be separate and distinct from the Canaanites and the Moabites and the Ammonites. And so he says, these things that you're going to do are going to remind you of your separateness. You're not to unequally yoke an ox and a donkey together. You're not to um, plant 
two different kinds of seed in the same field. These things were to remind them that they were separate. So was there a deep theological holiness issue to having clothing that had mixed threads, linen and wool? I, I'm imagining probably, although I didn't look at the tag of this shirt, this probably has some mixed threads in here, cotton and something else. But was there some sort of theological holiness issue for the children of Israel to not mix linen or wool together? There wasn't, it wasn't an immoral thing. There are some practical reasons for not doing that, but even in their clothing, God is saying that you, your clothing that you put on every single day, I want you to be reminded all the time that you are a holy people to the Lord. You're not mixed, alloyed, scattered together with other people. You are distinct. And then on their clothing, he says on the four corners of your clothing, there's going to be these tassels. And we find in other passages of scripture more information about the tassels, how it would be white thread with one blue thread through the middle of it. And we look at that strange statute and we say, why is that there? The answer is given to us in the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 15, we read this, and you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord your God to do them. These things, verse 40, that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So the children of Israel, God redeemed them out of Egypt to be their God and they would be his people. They'd be covenant together in a relationship and they were to be separate from the Canaanites and the Ammonites and the Philistines and the Moabites. They were to be a separate people. And in all these things, the way that they planted their fields, the way that they plowed their fields with their, their animals yoked together, the way that they would put on their clothes or the way that they would make their clothes, all of these things were to remind them of their separateness. There wasn't some sort of moral issue about having these tassels that they, they had on their clothing, but they were a visual reminder to them of their holiness to the Lord and the commandments that they had. It's kind of like a wedding ring. The wedding ring is a visible, tangible reminder of the relationship that I have with my spouse. It is a reminder to me, but it's a witness to others as well. The law of God was ordered such that Israel would always remember that God was their God and they were his people. And I wonder if there's anything that you have in your life or that I have in my life that is a daily reminder to me that I'm a child of God. What do you have? Israel had rituals and feasts and daily practices and weekly gatherings and meals to remind them of the connection that they had with God. And I don't think it's a bad thing for us to order our lives in such a way that we are reminded continuously of our connection to God. And not only that we are reminded continuously of our connection to God, but also it is a witness to others that we are his people. Something to think about, maybe even something to pray about. God, is there, is there something that I need to order in my life? Some sort of regular gathering together with other people at church to partake of communion or gathering in a small group with a group of people in a home to have a meal together, to pray together. Is there some sort of bracelet or necklace that I might wear that might remind me of the connection that I have to you or be a witness to other people that I am set apart as one of your children, one of your followers, that I would be a light to others. God, I pray that you would help us as we think about these things here in Deuteronomy. It's so easy for us to read a passage in like Deuteronomy chapter 22 or 23 and find some weird passage and think, oh, that's really weird. It's really strange. I don't know what this means and just move on from it quickly. But I pray that when we look at these things, we would see that maybe you have something more here that you want to instruct us in and teach us and that we would be open to whatever that instruction and teaching would be. Lord, open our hearts and our minds that we would receive these things, but also open our eyes that we would see what it is, the wonders from your word 
and that we would be able to understand what application that has to us in 2022. Because we're probably not going to stumble upon some wandering ox or donkey and have to hold on to it until we find the owner of it, Lord. But there's still something more that you want to teach us. So, Lord, help us to be open to it. Help us to see these things and to learn from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.